Are you ready for some more XFL? Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 11th podcast. In this episode, we will introduce three guests. First, we will hear from XFL draft pick Johnny Stanton IV. Throughout high school, college, and a brief NFL career, Stanton overcame many challenges and played many different positions. We will hear about his path to a pro football career that has now led him to be drafted by the Los Angeles Wildcats of the XFL. Then we will talk to XFLboard.com team reporters Greg Parks and Mike Mitchell. We will discuss the upcoming XFL supplemental draft, the league's marketing efforts, and make presumptions about the upcoming reveals of the team uniforms in the XFL football. I call this podcast Adjusting. It's about a player who has learned to adjust to playing different positions, all in an effort to break into pro football, in a pro football league that is making adjustments to its team rosters in final preparation to play football. There are 82 days until XFL kickoff. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Johnny Stanton to the podcast. Johnny was a quarterback and a linebacker when he played college ball at Nebraska and University of Las Vegas. He moved to the fullback position when he began to play for the Minnesota Vikings of the NFL. After a short NFL career, he now has found himself drafted by the Los Angeles Wildcats of the XFL. Welcome, Johnny. Thanks for having me on, Mark. It's good to have you. Uh, I think people will be interested to hear about your your path that brought you to the XFL. Now, you grew up in Southern California, right? I did. Yeah, I was. I moved from uh, from Burbank to Orange County when I was uh, in about fifth grade, and uh, went between um, different places in South Orange County from there. So it's kind of cool that you grew up in Southern California, and then you're finally going to be able to play professional football in Southern California. Right. My uh, my family is very excited that they'll be able to go to all my games. And, uh, you know, it's definitely nice to be able to be playing for the local team. So you were a graduate of uh, Santa Margarita High School? I was. And you played quarterback for them? I did. My sophomore year, I played a little bit of safety, but mainly a quarterback. So you've always been a player that's been skipped around to different positions, haven't you? Yeah, and I was always in love with the quarterback position growing up. Um, that's where I ended up getting my majority of my, my scholarship offers to play. And then uh, there kind of became a time where I, you know, noticed that if I wanted to move on with with football, I was going to have to move positions. And I knew that I was uh, versatile and athletic enough to be able to play, you know, a couple different positions and um, ended up as a fullback uh, tight end kind of combo. Yeah, I think that's really interesting how you've played different positions. And you were mostly a quarterback for your high school team, and then you uh, signed with the Nebraska Huskers for, uh, to play college ball, uh, but you were injured. You got injured in your in your last season in high school, didn't you? I did, yeah. I tore my ACL my senior year, um, ended up you know recovering the rest of that season and the rest of my senior year. Uh, came to Nebraska thinking that I was full, uh, you know, fully healthy and ready to go. Um, but once I got back on the field, I realized, you know, maybe I need a little bit more time. Long story short, when I was at Nebraska, I ended up finding out that I wasn't really going to get the chance to play. Um, so I, I left there and ended up leaving for uh, Saddleback Community College in 2015. Yeah, so you stayed with the Huskers, uh, Nebraska Huskers for two years, but you didn't get to start, so you went to Saddleback College, and did they give you a chance to start? 
They did. Uh, I was actually competing for the first couple games um, at uh, for the starting position, and um, the third game of the year, I kind of secured that spot, and we went on a 10-game winning streak after that. Uh, ended up in the state championship game and losing that, unfortunately. But it was uh, it was a really fun year where I you know I got to fall back in love with football. So you stayed one year with Saddleback, and then you uh, went up to University of Las Vegas, played with the Rebels. Correct. You ended up as a backup for the Rebels, but you specialized as a running quarterback, didn't you? Yeah, they they like to uh, recruit guys who can um, can run the ball a little bit. My uh, my first year there, I started my first four games until I got injured. I um, I sprained my knee, and I didn't get didn't get to play the rest of my redshirt junior season in 2016. Um, but I was, you know, came back fully, uh, fully healthy for the next year. Um, they decided to go with the uh, the freshman quarterback Armani Rogers, who's still there now, and he's a he's a great player. Um, but I wanted to try to play, you know, more than I was getting the chance to. So I offered my um, I offered the coaches if I could play uh, special teams. And after a couple games, I got the chance to play special teams, and um, then got to play linebacker and got back to quarterback after that. So that's literally your specialty is to be an all-round football player that can play a variety of positions wherever you're needed. Yeah, I kind of find, found myself in that position after a while. So I guess that's the way you you keep yourself valuable to a football team and stay with the roster, right? Right, that's my mindset for sure. I read that you wore number four in college, and is there a reason for this? I did. Yeah, a lot of people, when they find out that my full name is John Stanton the Fourth, they, they assume that it's because I'm, that's why I'm number four, is because I'm the fourth. Uh, it's actually because my grandfather, my dad's dad, was a fighter pilot in World War II. And uh, long, you know, long story short, uh, he flew an F4U Corsair, and uh, that's the kind of that's kind of the reason why I end up um, wearing the number four. And when I was at uh, Nebraska, I wasn't able to be that number, but in high school and, and uh, at UNLV, I got to be number four. Uh, when I moved to Minnesota as a fullback, um, you know, they're not giving any fullbacks the number four uniform. So right. I decided, uh, I actually didn't get the decision, but it ended up working out that I was in the 40s. I was number 48. Uh, and don't know what number yet I'll be with the uh, with the XFL. So whatever number you get, you're going to try to work a four in there somehow. I'd love to. Uh, I know that my <laughs> the ones that I requested are in the 40s, and I don't imagine I'll get that much of a uh, of a fight for any 40 number, but maybe maybe with some linebackers. Well, that's cool. I like to hear that, that you're, uh, it's an homage to your grandfather. That's, that's really cool. Right. Now, after college, you shopped around for a, a professional career. Right. You ended up with the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Can you tell us how that worked out? Yeah. So, you know, after my senior year of college, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to continue playing football um, when uh, I got a phone call from a CFL team saying that they were interested in me at quarterback. So I figured, okay, I might as well keep on um, working out and do UNLV's Pro Day. Um, after, uh, after a couple months, I got a couple phone calls from NFL teams saying, you know, asking questions and stuff. So I figured, you know, I should, I should go all out for this. So during pro day, I, I worked at quarterback. I worked out at tight end. I did some linebacker drills and I even did some long snapping. I tried to get in the, you know, a little, a little bit of a habit of being, you know, trying to be an emergency long snapper for a team if they picked me up. After pro day, I did a CFL camp. They didn't end up picking me up. And Minnesota, after the draft, sent me a phone call uh, saying that they would love to be able to sign me as a, or not actually not sign me, but invite me to minicamp um, as a tryout player. And no, you know, knowing I, I full, fully well knew that there was uh, a, you know, a slim, to, slim to none chance that I'd be able to make the team as a, as a tryout player. You know, they bring in 30 or 40 guys, uh, the Vikings did, to be able to try out for the team. But um, 
I, I felt good that weekend, and I got lucky enough to be given a contract. Uh, I was actually working at tight end that, that minicamp. Um, I had no idea that they'd sign me as a fullback, even after I signed the contract. I had no idea. So you went there, and you you were hoping for a position, and uh, you, and you would have accepted a, a variety of positions. Yes, they, they actually pulled me into minicamp as a tight end, but once they signed me, I found out through social media that it ended up as a fullback. So the couple of months that I was with Minnesota, they actually had me at fullback. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So you spent the entire 2018 season with the Vikings, but you you ended up injured. Yeah, in the preseason with Minnesota against Jacksonville, the second game of the preseason, I ended up breaking my ankle with the team. And uh, they held on to me on injured reserve. Um, so I got to call myself a part of the team, um, but I was back home rehabbing. After the season was over, I ended up getting the phone call saying that I was cut, which, you know, was not totally unexpected. And uh, the whole rest of this year, I've been, uh, you know, shopping myself around and trying to get on a team. So back on the hunt for, for a pro football uh, job. When did you uh, start looking at the XFL as an option? I started looking at them uh, as an option this summer. Um, I went to a combine, um, kind of an independent combine, where I was uh, just trying to get noticed by a team um, up in Baltimore. And uh, I got got the interest of one of the scouts in the XFL who told me that, you know, that they were interested um, decided to look more into it, and um, later on, I got the invitation to join the XFL Showcase, which they were doing in each of the uh, each of the XFL team cities. Right. Um, ours was in Long Beach, so I drove up to Long Beach, um, spent the day up in, uh, doing basically the same thing as the combine, and I felt like I did pretty well. I felt pretty confident after that. I guess things did work out for you because you were invited to the draft, and then eventually, they in October, you were drafted to the Los Angeles Wildcats. And you were drafted as I a, was. You were drafted as a tight end. Yes, that's uh that's what I'm listed as. Uh I think the you know I'm looking forward to seeing what the team will use me as. Um and uh yeah, coach I've been able to uh, have a couple phone calls with coach Norm Chow and be able to meet with him in person and um yeah, I I'm I'm excited to find out what uh how how I'll be used. Well, that's interesting cuz he now he's got you in his back pocket and he can use you in different positions cuz he knows that you've you you have lots of experience in different positions. Yeah, absolutely. I figure I can I can be used a couple different ways and emergency quarterback if need be. Hopefully he doesn't come to that, but Exactly, yeah. Well, that's that's cool. Now, where were you when you heard you were drafted to the Wildcats? I was uh working at my uh at my high school actually. I was helping coach the Santa Margarita Eagles freshman football team. So you're actually coaching uh, high school football uh as a part-time job right now. I was. Uh the season ended. Um of but course, yeah, yeah. I, I was when I got the phone call. All right. So that must be fun. And what what do what do you know about the Los Angeles Wildcats? Well, I know that uh we've been we've been working out together. We've had about 3 weeks or so that um Luis Perez, our 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 quarterback, uh, right. has brought gotten together the local guys um, to throw, and um, we've had a number of workouts, and I've been able to meet a lot of the different guys, uh, guys like Jalen Green, uh, Nelson Nelson Spruce. Um, a lot of the guys are really good athletes, and I've been very impressed. So that's kind of cool that you're able to start working out with them on a casual basis and uh, get to know them before the mini camp that's starting next month. Exactly. Yeah, I'm excited. So, what else excites you? What excites you about the XFL? You know, it's a, it's a second chance for all of us. Uh, all of us, you know, at least the majority of us had at least some kind of stint in the NFL. And, um, you know, we all want to be continue, continue to be playing uh, professional sports. Um, it's, you know, football is what we love. And it's, it's exciting to be around a whole bunch of guys who 
you know, are, are really passionate about the sport and are passionate about having a chance to prove that they're, you know, that they deserve to be a professional athlete. And continue your pro football career and maybe get back to the NFL. Right, but I'm, you know, I'm enjoying my every second I am with the XFL. Just playing football is important. Right, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hold off the real world for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. I mean, getting paid to play, <laughs> getting paid to play football is is a is a bonus. I mean, playing football is one thing, but getting paid is the bonus, I guess. Right, right, it's the dream. Now there's two training camps coming up: a mini camp in December and a combined training camp. Uh, in January it takes place in Houston. I think you said you're pretty excited about these. Now, how do you prepare for these camps? Um, pr- pretty much any any other way, you know, how you would prepare uh, for any other football season. You know, this one's a little bit more individual because we don't get so much time together. Um, but I think, you know, everybody on the team knows how to prepare for, an, for a season. And uh, when we get together in, in December, I think all of us will be in great shape. We'll have you know, really studied what we need to be doing. Um, we'll have worked out and conditioned and done what we need to do. So at this point, you know, we're all, we're all professionals. We all know what to do to be able to prepare for a season. And, you know, I imagine that all of us are doing that. So get in the training camp, get to know the coaches, get to know the playbook a little bit, get to know the other players and get down to football. Is that, is that the plan? Exactly. Yeah. We're, I know all of us are very excited to be doing that. Johnny, I would like to wish you all the best in the upcoming training camps, and I'd like to say we can't wait to see you on the field for the L.A. Wildcats next February. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Now, if people want to follow you online, they can follow you on Twitter at uh, Johnny Stanton IV or Johnny Stanton 4, Roman numeral 4. Is that right? Yep. Instagram and Twitter, I'm Johnny Stanton uh, IV. Great. So follow Johnny Stanton IV and learn uh, from him what it's like to be in a XFL training camp and and joining the Wildcats for the first season. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Mark. Go Wildcats. Go Wildcats. I would like to introduce Mike Mitchell and Greg Parks. Mike is our XFLboard.com reporter for the New York Guardians, but you may also know him for his insightful articles about the XFL in general. Greg is one of the XFLboard.com reporters for the Tampa Bay Vipers, but you may also know him as tracking XFL players via a very useful Google Docs spreadsheet he links to from a pinned tweet in his Twitter profile. I think every XFL fan and player may have referred to that spreadsheet at one point or another. Welcome, Greg and Mike. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark, for having me on. It's great to have both of you on together. And uh, this should make for a wonderful uh, discussion, I'm sure. Now, the first thing we're going to talk about is the XFL Supplemental Draft, which is coming up on 22nd November, which is this Friday. Well, what do you think we can expect overall, Mike? I'm not expecting as in-depth of a draft process as obviously it was for the XFL Draft in October. Um, I think there's a possibility that um, a lot of the aspects of the supplemental draft are going to be similar to what we saw with the open draft, where it's kind of uh, more of a closed up, tight knit with, you know, some team announcements on social media as far as players they select. We don't know yet um, the particular format involved in terms of how many rounds there's going to be and all that. So yeah, I think I think it's a, a lot different than the, the uh, draft we went through a month ago. 
Yeah, and and like Mike said, there's not a lot known. We don't know really any of the players. It hasn't been officially released by the league like the first draft was. And, uh, you know, we're kind of waiting to figure out, okay, how many picks? uh, What determines what teams get picks? You know, I know there was some discussion a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago about, okay, you know, if teams have players who are signed to NFL rosters, and there are about a dozen on practice squads and on rosters right now who were drafted – and have been picked up in that meantime, uh, are they going to be the ones who are picking players to replace those? Or is it just overall each team's going to have the same number of picks? Um, That hasn't been released yet either. You know, there's still a couple days left before the draft on Friday, so we may end up getting that information. But as we sit here, there just isn't a lot we know about the process of the supplemental draft. That's very true. And, you know, Greg has done a tremendous job, you know, rounding up all these names and players. One of the things, though, that's a bit of a negative with the supplemental draft, it's from a player's standpoint, really. Now we know about, as Greg mentioned, the players that have signed on with NFL teams, and that's great. Even a few of them have gotten NFL action, like James Waters for the the defenders. But what I will say is one of the negatives to the supplemental draft, depending on how long it is, is that there's a chance that players that were uh, drafted a month ago could be cut by XFL teams. And that's that's a really tough part of the process because say for example, you got a roster right now with 71 players. If you if the New York Guardians decide to take a kicker and a punter, which we're all assuming they will, that would mean that they would have to cut a couple players off of their current roster. You'd hate to see that because you know from these players that from the players aspect, they're so excited about being drafted. We're so close to mini camps and training camp. You almost wish that the XFL would expand their rosters from the 71 that's proposed now to more like 80 or 85 or 90. Maybe that's just me being the fan of uh, being a fan of players, but um, but you kind of worry about that aspect of it. I mean, if the Guardians take 10 players in the supplemental draft, that's going to mean that somebody who got drafted last month is not going to make and not even make it to minicamp. So that's well, that's a, that's the tough part. It's not as exciting. It's exciting, but it's not as a positive for all the players that are currently in the league as it was for the initial draft. Because it, like Oliver Luck mentioned, uh, there's a possibility here that players that were drafted may not make it to minicamp because of the supplemental draft. Well, wow. Nobody really wants to think about that. So you'd almost think that they would expand the roster temporarily for, especially for the upcoming minicamps, because uh, they are booking flights and accommodations for players to go to minicamps. So right. I think a lot of players are um, are on the on they're on the hook for those type of uh, arrangements now. And, so they, and, they and, might expect. And here's the here's the other thing too is uh, not all the players drafted are going to attend minicamp. And whether that's because, you know, the contract deals, they didn't like that. We, we've seen some players who've uh, declined to play in the XFL who have been right. drafted. There's going to be some of those guys. Um, there's going to be guys who are uh, on NFL rosters, as we talked about, who won't be able to attend minicamp. So, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that all of these teams have been in contact with the players that they've drafted and they have a good idea. Okay. If we can only take 71 to mini camp or even to training camp later on, we know that we have 10 guys who we drafted who are just not coming out for whatever reason, personal contract, whatever. They're not going to be coming to mini camp. So let's draft 10 players 
to fill those spots. We can put those on uh, reserve left squad lists or whatever list that uh, exemptions that the XFL is going to have, or if they decide to change their mind, you know, that that team still has their rights. So, um, you know, if that, if they go more in that direction of things, uh, we may not see a lot of players who, who get cut before minicamp. That's a, that's a very good point. No question about it. It's, you know, obviously each team has a certain number of players that they need to fill just to get to the 71, you know, there are teams like the Battle Hawks and the Defenders that have several players, which I think is a nod to the XFL and to the the per- personnel departments for the players they drafted. But there's quite a few players that are in the NFL currently. So the Battle Hawks might have five or six guys they need to replace. The Defenders might have four, etc. So, I mean, they could set it up that way. That's why I'm thinking the supplemental draft is not your traditional 10-round type draft where everybody's picking players you know 10 10 particular players so yeah it's very possible that each team has a certain number that he needed to fill to get to 71 but as i suggested i understand this is uh way above my pay grade but i kind of wish maybe this is because i'm such a fan of players i kind of wish they would expand the rosters to let's just say 80 a, a clean number just to just to ensure because you're going to have injuries in mini camp unfortunately hopefully not you're obviously going to have injuries in training camp when the teams have scrimmages so uh, you hate to see that, but that's a possibility. So I say the more players you invite into the league, the better. Yeah, I agree. And also what happens in the, the mini camp, which is happening a couple weeks after Thanksgiving, give or take, uh, the players are going to show up and they're going to be asked, they're going to have a medical, possibly a drug test. And some of them are going to fail the medical or maybe, heaven forbid, fail the drug test. So I think the league needs... They need to obviously have some way to for teams to top up their numbers. However, I I don't think it would be fair for to allow a team to bring 90 players to a minicamp and right. another team brings 71. There so, is there is a small uh, not to sorry to interrupt you there, Mark. There is a small right. loophole that XFL teams can kind of use to their advantage. Let's say you're the Battlehawks and you have six of your drafted players that are in uh, the NFL right now. They're on an exempt list. The Battlehawks own the rights to those players. If they shall, they, should they become available to the to the team once right. again? So you can actually walk into minicamp with 71 players plus the five or six that are currently in the NFL. So in you know before the season starts, who knows what happens by the time January comes and, and the league-wide training camp? It's a way of carrying 77 players without actually carrying 77 players. Right. So you're carrying a, a couple players that are actually on an NFL practice roster, let's say, and you know that they're ready for football. That's right. a bit of and a And then if, if they become available to you, the more the merrier. You know, it's, a, it's like uh, it's a way of having 71 plus because you have players that are in the NFL. And as the league has mentioned, the team that drafted these players will retain their rights. So should they become available? Should they come back to the Battle Hawks? That's a way of uh, improving the roster, too, because obviously some quality guys ended up on NFL rosters after being drafted. So just a thought. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Gr- Greg, I want to ask you a question about the supplemental draft. Wouldn't it be fun if there were a few surprises and a few surprise players were drafted? <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, you know, I think that would get the league having some momentum heading into mini camps. Um, and, and, you know, I, I remarked the other day on uh, the XFL board, dot com message board that you know even the picture of the la wildcats a couple of the players Luis perez is i think their their quarterback um working out with some uh players and and they were wearing la wildcats um 
apparel. And that was just so neat to see. And I thought, you know, it's a small thing, but it's such a huge step right. to actually getting to play football. You know, we've talked for months and, and you know, we've talked on this podcast for months about um, drafts and, and everything but the actual, you know, getting out on the field and playing the game. And and to see that, that was really cool. And any kind of surprises that will give the league momentum as it heads into minicamp, as it heads into training camp in, in January, I think is going to be huge. Um, I don't know what the chances are of that being because, uh, you know, we, we haven't heard from the league on that. And they've been pretty good about when they get somebody who has a a – if not a marketable name, then at least a recognizable name to mainstream football fans that they've been able, they've put that out there um, dating back to the summer showcases, you know, when you had Hakeem Nix and all these players and Nix didn't even make it into the, uh, into the draft pool, but um, the, the Trent Richardson's and everything like that, you'd think that they would want to trumpet that on social media and let people know about it. So my, my hope isn't high for that, but there's always, you know, um, a small part of me that thinks, well, you never know. They could be just holding something back for, for a surprise. Yeah, well, you know, like the original uh, XFL draft pool, even though 560 players were drafted, there were over 400 that weren't. So, <laughs> And whether or not those players that were in the initial pool are in this pool, which it would seem to suggest that they are, depending on which players still want to play for the league, there were some recognizable names that went undrafted. As you know, Greg, there's sure. Trent Richardson, as you mentioned. There's Jacoby Ford, Noel Devine, Terrence Williams, Kendall Wright, um, Aaron Ripkowski, who some figured would end up with Stoops. Over there in Dallas. So there, there are a few, and you know, Zach Mettenberger's players like that. Yeah, there's quite a few of, uh, there was uh, Fred Davis, the tight end from USC, played for the Redskins, that was in the pool and that wasn't drafted. So there are players like that that could be mentioned in the uh, supplemental draft, depending on whether or not they're still on board with being with the league. But um, that's uh, that would be great if there were some surprise element, because I think a lot of people are expecting the supplemental draft to be a lot of young players that haven't really gotten extended opportunity in the National Football League. They're kind of not expecting any veterans. So it would be neat to see a few of them sprinkled in in the supplemental process. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the one player that comes to mind is uh, a quarterback, which I don't even want to mention his name because people will start to think I have a crush on him. And it's his last name is football and his first name is Johnny. There you go. Now, that would be a big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be huge. I, you know, I think the XFL um, – you know, it would be great to see that. I know people are pining for that. They would love to see him be a part of the league in some form or fashion. One thing that's working t towards his favor, I think, is that in the supplemental draft, I'm not assuming, and obviously before the uh, league-wide training camp in January, I'm not assuming that teams are done in the quarterback process. I need, yeah. there, are t there are teams right now that need a third quarterback. I know that it's an eight-team league, and the coaches want to limit the reps, so they don't want to have four or five quarterbacks all taking reps. But yeah, but I, I some of these teams like St. Louis, for example, they have two very young quarterbacks in Jordan Tiamu and uh, Brogan Roback. And I think it's a possibility that a team like St. Louis could take a third. I'm not saying it will be Zach Mettenberger or Johnny Manziel, but um, I think they could take a third quarterback in the supplemental draft. And if they don't, I would suspect that there is a good possibility that uh, a player that's currently on an NFL practice squad that comes off the practice squad when the NFL season ends is going to end up in St. Louis. Doesn't mean that person's going to be a starter, but if it's someone who's high profile, like a Chad Kelly or someone along that lines, um, then it could be someone who could be a starter that could come in late in the process. But I think the supplemental draft, you'll see you'll see some quarterbacks pick, and there were some good ones in the original pool that weren't picked. Um, and then, you know, you'll see special teams and other areas like that addressed as well in the supplemental draft. 
And not just third quarterbacks for the offseason, but fourth quarterbacks. A lot of NFL teams, and I know their their training camp rosters are, are 90, not 71, but um, a lot of them will carry four quarterbacks. And so I would expect the XFL teams to go into camp at least with three, uh, possibly with four. And it could be the same situation uh, that happened with some of the specialists. You know, they, there were some teams that did not pick specialists or only picked one or, or two, um, anticipating, you know, they'll fill up the rest in the supplemental draft. And that could have been the attitude by some front offices with the quarterbacks you know if there were uh two quarterbacks that they liked and they felt like um that there wasn't any other quarterbacks that really jumped out to them they may have thought okay let's wait a month and a half for the supplemental draft see if there's any other players who uh are either dropped from nfl teams and become available and want to be a part of the, the league or you know the the johnny manzel see if the xfl can come to an agreement with uh, any of these other players who are out there that these teams might be interested in and they can think okay if nobody else comes available we'll just take one from the original pool but we don't want to be married to any of these quarterbacks right now in case one comes open for the supplemental draft that we really like the xfl should soon reveal the team uniforms as it was rumored this would be done before thanksgiving now mike you once referred to the fact that all bad uniforms in all sports are sometimes referred to as xfl uniforms is this the bar the xfl needs to pass oh they certainly need to pass it i think that you know regardless of what the the type of uniforms that the xfl releases that there's like a bit of a negative stigma attached to the league so even if something is looks great there's going to be a group of people that uh, either uh, speak negatively of it regardless, you know, but I do see that a lot. You see that a lot in social media. You see that a lot when a team in college football or in the NFL changes their uniforms and the go to criticism is, oh, that's an XFL. It looks like an XFL uniform to me. So um, and it's I think it's very important that the, the, the uniforms It's not like the most important thing for a football league. But I think that it's very important that the uniforms are great. And that it really sparks people's interest. I mean, if uh, you know, if you see cool looking Battle Hawks uniforms or LA Wildcats uniforms and go, wow, uh, I think I'm going to get myself a jersey. And uh, and I think I'm going to watch this league. These teams look pretty cool. And on, on the other end of the spectrum there, if they're not, if they're poor designs or they don't look good, if they're too gimmicky, if the Vipers have a snakeskin jersey or something like that, people will go, okay, that's a little too much. This is a silly league. You don't want people to have, there are some that already have a negative perception of the league. You don't want it to add to it. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I'm definitely excited for it regardless. Yeah, every step of the way is about building credibility for this league. Uh, they're, they're sort of behind the eight ball when it comes to that, just because of people's memories attached to the name XFL, because, you know, Vince McMahon is the one bankrolling this league. There's naturally a lot of skepticism, not to mention the fact that most spring leagues have, have gone up in flames, including recently the um, AAF. So there are a lot of doubters out there and every step of the way with everything they do, uh, whether it's uh, talent, whether it's uh, team nicknames, logos, uh, jerseys, you have, it's all about building credibility for that league. And I think that's kind of what Mike was alluding to. And, you know, you can see the, the number of people who kind of jumped on the league uh, for the contract deal. You know, when, when the contract numbers came under what some people were expecting, you know, that was an opportunity for people to say, well, for people to delegitimize the league in right. some ways. So it, it is uh, important that the jerseys look good. And, and, you know, the go-to criticism, not only for the jerseys, but for logos and, and team nicknames that come out. Oh, those are, you know, that like, sounds like an XFL team. You know, those, that's some common criticism that you've heard over the last decade or two when uh, when teams come out with new logos or nicknames. But yeah, I'm excited. I, you know, I think it's important, and, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. But 
I, I thought it was going to be so important to get those jerseys out there before Black Friday. And we've got, you know, almost two weeks until then. So hopefully that comes to fruition because that's just that's just such an easy uh, an easy marker, you know, to, to hit right. and to say, OK, we want them out by this point because that's when everybody's buying everything. That's the biggest sales day of the year. Why wouldn't you want to get that stuff out by then? So unless there's something that we don't know about that's holding up the announcement of these uh, jerseys, I, I would really like to see them out by Black Friday so they can go on sale. Yeah, that makes uh, definitely a lot of sense from a uh, monetary and a financial standpoint, you know, as far as selling the league and the uniforms and all that. It would be perfect timing, no question about it. We know that the first week of December is when minicamp starts, so you would assume these players are going to be practicing with uniforms on. So <laughs> You never know. <laughs> <laughs> with helmets, maybe. So so we're, I'm really looking forward to seeing. I'm thinking, you know, it's very possible this coming week we could have a little surprise coming our way. I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, I know there's a lot that the league needs to do as far as the supplemental draft goes, as far as uniforms go, as far as league rules go, finalizing the Fox broadcast teams. So there's a lot on the plate for sure, but uh, – but I think within the next couple of weeks, I think Thanksgiving week is probably um, reason. It's reasonable to expect that before Thanksgiving comes that we're going to get the uniforms. That's my that's my I don't know that for 100 percent sure, but that's my feeling on it. I think that's a lot of people's feelings. Uh, but as usual, the league is very silent about the timing of, of this. Uh, Kurt Hunzecker, who is the president of the Battlehawks, right? Right. Yeah. He tweeted a couple of days ago after the big meeting they had at uh, in Stamford. He tweeted the next few weeks will be so much fun, especially the and then he wrote redacted, mm. the incredibly redacted, redacted, and of course what everybody has been waiting for the redacted. In other words, he purposely did not say what was coming up, but he hinted that there was some things coming up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of wish they would give more information on what's coming up, but I mean, that's that's what well, they're well, doing. To, right? add to, to add to that, Mark, sorry to interrupt there for a second, but Brian Stull, who covers the league in St. Louis, who's a, a St. Louis media member, who, you know, mm -hmm. he he said he was at the league meetings in Connecticut. I think he posted this might have been yesterday, and that he got a glimpse of the XFL uniforms. So yeah. I I think I think it's a very you know he complimented them. And talked about having, you know, he's biased, but they're the best uniforms that he saw yesterday. So I think there's a, you know, I think they're all set pretty much. I think we're going to get them. Um, it might come after the supplemental draft, but um, I think I think they're 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 waiting. And, and you know, the, the trouble with giving dates, Mark, and I, and I get the desire to, you know, really have something set in stone is because things get in the way. You know, when you run a business the size of the XFL, you can't can't give out dates too far in advance because, okay, this hiccup comes up or this hiccup comes up. And then if you don't reveal whatever you're promising on that date, then people get up in arms and they take it as a sign that, oh, you know, something is wrong. And, and when it could just be legal snafus or whatever. So, you know, I think what they did with the with the logos and everything where about, you know, a couple days ahead of time is when they started really teasing them. I think that's probably what you'll get for the jerseys as well. A couple days ahead of time is when they'll tell you. But anything more than a week or two out, I, I think it's it's just not going to happen that way just because of all the possible things that could go wrong in between that that long lead time. 
I think right. you're right, Greg. Uh, this league has a, uh, a history of systematic teasing, uh, which they did for the logo release, which, in fact, I think they probably did that very well. And, of course, with the draft, they teased the fans and the, the sports world with a, a new list of uh, draft invitee players every day for five days before the draft occurred. So they have this way of systematically releasing information, and uh, perhaps we will see something like that for the uniform release as well. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, well, why not? I mean, that's I'm sure that's what we, sh- we can expect. Now, we're talking about marketing the XFL. Did you notice about a week ago, Vince McMahon actually tweeted out support of XFL ticket sales? And up to this point, he has been solely in the background for the last well over a year. And so what do you make of that, uh, Greg? Uh, you know, you, you could take that a couple different ways. You could take it as, oh, maybe the ticket sales aren't as strong, so he's got to put something on his social media, which is followed by, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, millions, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I haven't checked. Um, so it gets it gets the word out to a wider audience. Um, is that I, – I hate to wade into this water, but is that the tweet that was, quote, tweeted by the president? Because um, I know Vincent tweeted something. It was. Okay. So, so the other part of me thinks that he and the president got together and Vince said, okay, if I tweet this, can you either retweet it or comment on it or something like that? And some kind of deal was made because you're right. Vince is not – you know, Vince doesn't tweet a lot, and if it is, it's probably not Vince tweeting. I mean, the, the tweets that Vince McMahon puts out on his Twitter feed are very unlike um, any of the any of the stories or anything about Vince McMahon. So, you know, it, it's kind of like, well, yeah, it's his Twitter feed, but um, so part of me thinks, you know, uh, he kind of wanted to signal boost this through the president, or there was some kind of conversation between the two, and Vince put this out, and then the, the there was some sort of deal where the president would retweet it or comment on it or something like that. So that's that was kind of my take on it. I did think it was interesting. You know, the majority of the XFL's marketing in terms of like their ticket push has been kind of like grassroots. They're kind of like at the early stages. Mm-hmm. They have uh, Elevate Sports working for them. The early indications are that uh, St. Louis and Seattle are doing real well selling tickets thus far. Seattle's exceeding uh, the early returns on ticket sales. So I think that, yeah, Vince McMahon may be trying to give the ticket sales a little bit of a boost. I know it's like one of the first barometers towards whether there's interest towards the league is like to see how ticket sales go initially. I think as we get closer, there's gonna, they're going to be ramping up marketing and promoting. You're seeing that a little bit in terms of the local markets with billboards and what have you, and obviously the presence of the teams on social media. But you'll start to see a little more of a push when the XFL is mentioned on Fox or ESPN broadcasts when we get closer to the games. I think the uniforms are actually, we just talked about that previously, I think that might also help all these little announcements that are going along the way, the draft, the team logos, all that stuff is those are aiding the awareness level of the league. I think there's still some people that are not aware of the league. I think the league has got a lot of work ahead of them. It's great that they have Elevate Sports to help them in that process. The league didn't have to go out and hire its own marketing team. They already have a marketing team and ticket sellers that work with Ticketmaster, etc. So the expectation level for ticket sales is not they would love to do great, but I think, you know, the barometers for them to average 20,000 fans per game, I think that's something they can reach. They're certainly, they certainly look like they're going to do that for Seattle and St. Louis from early returns from everything I've heard and read. 
And and you know the local marketing has been fantastic from what I've seen in in, uh, in social media. I think that every market, or at least almost every market, has done such a great job of really trying to get out in the community and raise awareness. And a lot of them are doing similar things. A lot of the the teams are going out to their local high school football games and having a booth there and setting up and raising awareness at that. As you mentioned, Mike, the the grassroots, the right. local level. But you know each each city is also doing things that are specific to them. You know I've seen Dallas right to have the truck painted up with the, you know, wrapped in the Dallas Renegades logo and everything driving around the city. And I think that's really cool. And so, you know, that's, that's a really nice touch. And I think they've, that was important to me. I think as these cities were revealed and as, you know, um, they got the logos and everything like that, it was so important to touch the local community. And I think every team has done a really great job of that. The other thing I want to point out is we're getting into a point now with the supplemental draft. It's going to be followed by minicamp. It's going to be followed by training camp in January, a, a possible second supplemental draft there. And then the game's in February. Part of the reason we're so thirsty for news is because we've experienced a lot of different lulls over the last year and a half of XFL news. And we've got to understand that's coming to an end very soon. <laughs> you yeah. know, the, yeah. the XFL is going to be in the sports consciousness, I think, quite a bit coming up and maybe not so much at minicamp. Uh, I don't know how much um, that's going to happen, but you've got the jerseys coming up. You've got the supplemental draft. You've got the mini camps. You've got um, presumably the rules, which right. I'm not even sure at this point if we're going to get a full mm. set or a, a rule, rule book released to the public at this point. Um, they may just point out some differences, but I'm not sure how much they want to keep under wraps. Uh, for when the league starts. So I think there are a lot of people expecting like a full release of, of the rules. I'm not sure that's going to happen, but all of this stuff in the next you know two or three months is going to lead up to that first game. So I think we're going to see a lot more of the league in the consciousness of the sports media going forward. And, and those lulls are really going to shorten as far as what we've had to experience. So those are excellent points. No question about it. We're like, as from a fan standpoint, even though we have these lulls that we have to wait for, we're going through the fun process. I know it's difficult work for the league. We're going through the fun process of league building, the names, the uniforms, the players, all that stuff. But really the difficult stuff is going to be once the league starts. You question the, how the quality of play turns out, what the ratings are like, what attendance is like, you know, the viability of the league. you got your fingers crossed that it's going to be successful. So that's when the real stressful part of being an XFL supporter or working in the XFL comes. Right now, it's kind of fun. You know, the players, the uniforms, the names, all this stuff is fun. It's when reality sets in like it did for the Alliance, um, unfortunately, earlier this year, is when uh, the business of football begins. And then yeah. that's where things get uh, difficult. It could be dicey, could be a lot of bumps on the road. So, so I think this, even though we've had these lulls, I think this part of it is the fun part. And obviously the games will be fun to watch on ABC, Fox, and ESPN, no question about it. But there's that element of it, too, where you have concerns about the business aspect and the awareness aspect, the credibility aspect, all the, all those things. Yeah, the Alliance had a lot of bumps in the road, as you put it. It just reminds me that the XFL, hopefully they are, they'll be able to avoid some of those uh, because that was very damaging to the Alliance and, and their viewership, I believe. Yeah, and everyone uh, that's working for the XFL is going to have to have uh, thick skin because they're going to be – the league's going to have its detractors. There are going to be some rules and broadcast innovations that are introduced that right. some people are going to frown upon. And it's these kind of leagues always get treated like, oh, 
you know, um, in a negative fashion. Like uh, the, the, these are NFL rejects, players that couldn't make it into the NFL. Those kind of negative and uh, ignorant statements that people make about these types of leagues. So the, mm-hmm. the people working within the league are going to have to have thick skins and they're going to have to be ready for some bumps in the road. There's going to be I, some I would, walls and all that. So I wonder if they know how thick their skin needs to be, Mike. Maybe <laughs> maybe you should go down there, drive up to Stamford and just tell them. Well, all, <laughs> the, that's a good point. You know, the, all they need to do is reflect the owner of the league. Um, yeah. um, if, if the uh, Vitsik man, you know, there's a lot you can say negatively and positively about him obviously, throughout the years, but um, thin skin is not how I would describe him. I don't think he's ever cared, you know, uh, through his business actions and all that, uh, whether or not he's being criticized uh, or whether or not something he's doing is being considered foolish. The fact that he's bringing back the XFL is something that if he had thin skin, he wouldn't have done it. So, you know, that's kind of the story there. So so I think it's part of it. But the Alliance went through this, unfortunately. They put out a good product on the field. I mean, you can quibble about certain things here or there but it was never about yeah. their games or their players their league took a beating from uh, ratings falling after the first week from uh, poor attendance and empty stadiums from uh, them not having games on regular television all over the place that kind of thing so it was always about their business model or their ratings or their attendance rather than the quality of the play on the field and you just have to be prepared for that it's a first year league it's going to go through a lot of hiccups you have to be prepared for the slings and arrows that are going to be coming your way, for sure. Yeah, of course. To me, the, the big thing is, is year two. Um, if you can make it to year two, I think you can make it beyond. Right. Uh, one, because there are so many fans that are skeptical of the survival rate of a, a spring league. And they've seen the AAF and the XFL previously spectacularly bomb. Right. Um, you know, so if, if you make it to year two, I think that there's something in the fans that's going to click and say, okay, you know, I, I can jump in now with this because they've shown that they're different from previous leagues. So, I, you know, to me, it's just so important to make it to year two because I think if they can cross that threshold, if they can make it to year two, I, I really think that they've, they've – it's, it's not – you know, you, you never want to say they're safe, but right. it's going to be so much easier to uh, get fans invested and get them on board for what you're doing. I agree, Greg. You know, the thing is, though, with the AAF, they did the XFL no favors in terms of, like, perception because people yeah. who, are even, who are considering following the XFL are thinking – is this league going to even last? Why should I invest my time or money into it when I watch the last league that couldn't even finish out their season? Right, exactly. So, so uh, there's a lot of people now are like who would have been like keen on the prospects of, hey, another football league, let's give this a shot, who saw what happened with the Alliance, and they're like, and a lot of the Alliance fans got burned. You know, they, they really thought they were getting into a league that, you know, in San Diego and all these markets, that there were going to be teams that were going to be there, and then the league didn't even finish. So now you see one of the reigning commentaries about the XFL is, Oh, is this league going to last three weeks? Is this league going to last five weeks? Right. So how, how, when is this? Are they going to even get on the field and play a game? So, I mean, that's because of what the alliance did. So, so yes, and as Greg was initially saying there, getting to year two is huge. It's huge from a business standpoint, showing everybody that they're here to stay. It's huge from even where we've been talking about so the supplemental draft for the talent level of the league. There are a lot of players and agents that are skeptical about even giving the XFL a try. And if the XFL proves to be viable, you'll see the uh, the talent level of the players yeah, that's a good point. and get better because there there'll be a lot of players because we're talking about the supplemental draft. There are some players that are out of the NFL that I would love to see 
in the XFL, like a Terrell Pryor or a Corey Grant or even a Kevin White or some of these players that just missed out on being in an NFL roster this year. Those types of players are waiting to get back into the NFL or checking their options. If the XFL a year from now is still around and going into year two with momentum, those types of players are going to be like, you know what, I'm giving this league a shot. And then so so it, the first year is going to be very important. And the AAF folding is also a reason a lot of these players may consider not even giving the XFL a try, you know, because uh, why should I commit myself to this league when I don't know if it's going to last? So getting to year two is going to is the most important thing. If the XFL gets past year one, they will certainly get that AAF monkey off their back and they will be in uh, breaking new ground. In other words, uh, people can start believing in them knowing that they've surpassed the AAF. Now, I have a question for you, Greg. The last time around, back in 2001, there was an inherent interest from wrestling fans. Now, this time around, it's not even close to being as much. Does the XFL have to compensate for this change in their base demographic? I don't think so. You know, they were never going to survive in 2001 by being the wrestling fans football league. Right. Uh, that that just was not going to sustain them. Um, so, you know, they, they can't appeal to that nowadays because if you look at the ratings for wrestling back in 2001, it was far and away so much higher than what they're drawing today. The, the wrestling fan base was so much bigger at that time. So... You, you can't really appeal to the wrestling fan base and expect it to prop up your business as a football league in the same way today as they tried to do in um, in 2001. What's going to be interesting is to see just how much WWE uh, works with the XFL and how much business crossover there is, how much sponsorship there is, how many mentions of the XFL on WWE TV we're, we're going to see. Uh, we've already seen some crossover. We've seen that some XFL commercials have been played at, at WWE shows, not on television, but for the live crowds on the um, on the video board. We've seen Cardale Jones being introduced uh, to the television audience as being in the crowd at, uh, at in Washington for a Monday Night Raw episode a few days after the the, he was um, selected by the uh, defenders. So we've seen a little bit. It's certainly not on par with what we saw in 2001, where there was a lot of crossover, and Vince McMahon was basically banking on his wrestling audience to cross over and watch his football product. I think in this day and age, you, you've got to get football fans, period. And if they're wrestling fans who are also football fans, great. But that's not going to be the core demographic this time around. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, Mark, uh, a few weeks back on this podcast, Mark made a very good comment about the original XFL. He said it wasn't wrestling enough for wrestling fans and it wasn't football enough for football fans. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and that's and that's basically the case there. I think you'll see as far as um, I think it wouldn't hurt for the XFL to use a little bit of the WWE in terms of promoting their league. I don't, I don't think it'll be obviously as blatant as it was last time. But the fact that SmackDown is on Friday nights on Fox and the games are the next day. Um, you know, or on a Sunday, you mm-hmm. I think I think you'll see an ad or two pop up uh, during during uh, because you want you want people from that audience to give the league a shot. It may not be a small fraction, but um, it's good advertising. So, I mean, you don't want to intermingle the, the products themselves together, but an ad here and ad there, I don't think will be a bad thing. 
And the other thing to remember, too, is professional wrestling or, or sports entertainment is a lot more accepted in the mainstream today than it was in 2001. Uh, in 2001, it was still the Attitude Era. You still had a, a raunchy product, which bled over into what Vince wanted the XFL to be. Uh, today, you know, there's there's major toy sponsorships that are uh, carrying WWE products. They're, as Mike mentioned, they're on the Fox network. They, they've got real legitimate licensing deals and, and sponsorships, um, mainstream companies that are sponsoring them that wouldn't have touched professional wrestling 20 years ago. So I don't think there's the danger that it was in 2001 as far as you know people being turned off by the XFL because of its association with professional wrestling. Right. I think people still look at pro wrestling skeptically for sure, but I don't think it's that real strong negative attitude amongst a lot of people that it may have been in 2001. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Greg. I can remember going back to the original XFL's games, and the crowd was filled with 18 to 30-year-old guys. And it was, I mean, it was unbelievable. Now, I think the XFL, like the WWE, is it's more geared towards a family product. And then I think that's key for selling tickets. The XFL atmosphere uh, back in 2001 was fun for a lot of young college kids, high school kids, etc. But it wasn't really conducive to a family environment. Um so I think the, the, the current iteration of the XFL, like the WWE, is more of a family-friendly product. And if you're looking to sell tickets, I think overall it's a good play to appeal to families of four, families of five, rather than a couple of college kids showing up at the game. So Earlier in the podcast, uh, it was mentioned that uh, um, some of the L.A. Wildcats players were throwing the balls or pra- or getting together to practice or war- or uh, work out. Um, earlier in this podcast, prior to this interview, there was I had an interview with uh, Johnny Stanton, and he actually told me that he was one of the players that was working out with Perez in L.A., and he thought that was exciting that they were able to get to know each other and to throw the ball around and, uh, and uh, work out. The fact that they're actually... There's some football being thrown. I think that was the point that was made. Right. Is is exciting and uh, and of course, it's the, actually very it's very smart it's very smart in a league like this for like you know you saw Rashad Ross, Johnny Stanton, and others working out with their quarterback Luis Perez. But what right. was also going on was as Greg mentioned this earlier, you know, it was a great sight to see was Norm Chow was leading the troops there. In this kind of league where you 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 have a mini camp, yes, you have a training camp, yes. But you don't have uh, you have no CBA involved here. So there's nothing stopping these players from working together. And you want to get continuity and have these teams on the same page. So why not get a jump? Why not have Norm Chow leading Luis Perez with his receivers right now, getting getting up to speed on the playbook before mini camps and training camps even start? That's going to be important for the start of the season, not just for the overall quality of the league. But if you want to put your team in the best position to win right out the gate. No, I didn't see that video. I'm going to look. I'm going to look for it right away. But I suspect, as we all know, it wasn't a red and black football they were throwing around. <laughs> so that's the last piece of the puzzle, or one of the last pieces of the puzzle. The official ball will soon be released, and of course, the Dallas Renegades released a tweet that said they were at the football factory taking a video of, of the football being produced. Did you see that, Greg? Uh, uh, yeah, I did see that. Um, that's And that's one of the things I forgot to mention when I was talking about sort of getting out of this news lull and really being thrown into the fire a bit with the jerseys in which the supplemental draft and minicamp is the football. Um, that presumably is going to be announced soon as well. Uh, I would assume before minicamp since they need footballs for minicamp. 
So that's probably at a lower level announcement for that. I don't think there's going to be a lot of ballyhoo necessarily with that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's that's something else to look out for and, and mark your calendar for coming up. That's uh, for some people pretty big news. Right. And, and, you know, being at the New York Summer Showcase um, where the league trotted out several different types of footballs for the players to work out with, uh, you know, talking to the players there, it took them a while to get used to what is presumed to be potentially the XFL football, which is those pinpoints that you see at the end of the football that's in the shape of an X. It took a while for the players to get, get used to it. The receivers were raving about it. The quarterbacks, it took them a little while. So, you you know, it's, it's a small part of the game, small element. But you want to, you know, if the football differs from a college football in any way or an NFL football in any way, you want the players that are used to playing with those types of footballs to get used to it. Um, We're not going to have the issues that the original XFL had where executives are taking the football into the showers or sandpapering them and and trying to do all that kind of stuff. So I think this league uh, is going to try to create a football that helps the players perform better. I think the original XFL football probably sold. I think the league probably sold a lot of copies of that or Spalding did anyways. Um, Not sure if this football will be as popular in in the marketplace. Uh, Maybe it will. Um, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But I imagine with the football being uh, officially released by the league, there will also be releasing some way that fans could, could buy at least a replica copy or, or a, an official copy of the football. That makes sense. No question. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Mike and Greg. I'd like to thank you for coming on the podcast today and talking about the XFL. There's so much to talk about and there's so much to there's so much wonderment in what's going on. And I think we hit upon some of the high points. Now, people, you can follow uh, Mike Mitchell on Twitter at MMXFLboard or Greg on Twitter at Greg M. Parks. And if you follow Greg, you will get an extra bonus of wrestling related tweets as he's very active in the wrestling world. Bonus is a kind word for some people. I don't know if that would I don't know if everybody would consider that a bonus, but it, it'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how Greg does it. You know, he's he's covering the XFL. Wrestling is just there's so much damn product out there right now uh, mm-hmm. to follow. So there's so many different promotions to follow and shows. I don't know how guys do it from between Japanese wrestling and everything else. So I give Greg yeah. credit, and he's got a day job. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I give Greg right. credit for being able to juggle all this stuff because I, I I can't name you three wrestlers in New Japan. So, um, <laughs> so uh, good job, Greg. And then, you know, you've done a great job for the XFL followers as well, you know, by keeping track of these players. Yeah. I know it's a fun hobby for you. And uh, so it's it's fun for you to do. So obviously yeah. you cover everything with the same enthusiasm and passion. It's cool that you're part of XFL board. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, I've I've been able to do it to this point. Now, once the XFL games start, um, who knows? Who knows if I'm going to have to have to balance everything, but I'm going to I'm going to do my best. That's that's what I can promise. Well, another good reason why I thank both of you for coming on, because I know how busy you are. And also, if people want to hear more from you, uh, they can go on the XFL board message board where both of you are very active in providing uh, very knowledgeable discussions about XFL topics. So thank you for that as well. Thank you. Thanks again to our guests, Johnny Stanton, Greg Parks, and Mike Mitchell. I hope you enjoyed today's interviews. You are welcome to come back next Sunday, where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra. 
the XFLboard.com podcast. <laughs>